The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bentinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Joanne Mercer. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Dom. Folks, before we get into our topics today, I want to tell you about another show on the network that you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, where we talk about all kinds of movies. We're coming up soon. We're going to be talking about The Godfather Part 3. Uh, we have Coffee and Cinema is back with Father Chip and I. Yes, we haven't done this for two years because of COVID. And so we're, we're back going to the movies and then giving you our first impressions right after. And our first topic is going to be the new movie Father Stew, which uh, really good. And uh, Jaws is coming up. We got so many good movies coming up. Uh, oh, um, uh, Man for All Seasons. So it, it, it's looking like it's going to be a fun summer of movies. So def- definitely check it out wherever you find to find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So I, before we get started, I've got a little bit of a tip I want to share with you a little bit. Uh, another one of Dom's <laughs> Tales of Woe. <laughs> yes. wah, wah. So my daughter comes to me with her Kindle, uh, the regular Kindle 10th generation, not a paperweight, just the regular cheaper one. And uh, all my kids have Kindles now. And she brings her Kindle to me and says, it won't start. And it says at the bottom, waking up. And she says, it's been like that for uh, for or for a day. And she had it plugged in. She thought the battery was dead, but she plugged it in and it didn't work. So I did some research. And uh, this these are the, the troubleshooting steps that I found online that, that work. So first step is, is you hold the power button for 40 seconds, which is forever when you're holding a power button. But hold it for 40 seconds. Uh, you should see if, if something happens, the screen might flash or the the uh, the charging light, the, the little light that's either green or amber uh, might blink. Um, but if nothing happens, plug it into a, to a charging port and try it again. Forty seconds. Nothing happens. Plug it into a different port, like maybe into a, like a USB port in your computer. Try it again. Uh, if it still doesn't work, wait 20 minutes. Try again. Keep doing this. It may, it could take, as some people were saying, hours of this. I'm like, yeah, Amazon, what is wrong with you? Like, this is the worst troubleshooting experience that you can have. Like, people talk about Apple iPhones and iPads being, you know, like little black boxes that you can't really do anything with. This is worse than that. In, in any case, what happened was uh, she, when she plugged it in, we she hadn't plugged it in and done the reset button. When I plugged it in, did the reset button, the, the screen changed, and I got an icon of like a battery icon with an exclamation point. And my guess is she ran the battery down to like absolute zero. And so it needed a charge. And, and when it gets down that low, it just, the firmware or whatever, it just it gets locked up. So you need to plug it in, do the reset. And then it took another, say, 15 or 20 minutes before it actually booted. It had enough charge in the battery to reboot and then it was fine. So uh, I, I was this close, this close to just like, Oh, I have to buy another Kindle. I mean, I actually ordered a, a, a new one and then I thought, 
I really ought to check this. And so I, I did the whole thing and canceled the order and, you know, things are much better. Save myself a bunch of money <laughs> that way. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you ever get it into a situation where your Kindle won't start or it seems locked up and nothing, try these steps. It's it's a real hassle, but yeah. it makes me a little... A, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I wonder if it's a, a way to protect the battery, you know, because of course, like lithium-ion mm. batteries, you do not want to run them flat. Yeah, I think that's right. what it is. It's, it's, it's probably a protection thing, yeah. But it's just the scary thing is repeat for several hours. That is... <laughs> Gary, yeah. you can just spend your day resetting your Kindle. I, like, mm-hmm. you know, I said I did it, put it down, got you know, did other work, came back, looked at it, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, it it's kind of ridiculous how how much work it is to to get that working. So, <laughs> all right, so let's move on to our main topic for today, which is uh, we ta- we'd mentioned a few weeks ago that a listener had written in about what to do with an older Mac and uh, that you just really can't run it. it it can't run any of the brand new like macOS Monterey. It's it's really good, kind of obsolete. So what could she do with it? Could she put Linux on her Mac? And so uh, we said, well, let's let's see what happens when we do. And uh, Father, you uh, Father Gory volunteered an old mm-hmm. an old iMac of the same vintage, by the way, uh, that the Pretty listener close. wrote in with. And yeah, just about. And uh, you were you installed Linux on it, and you wanted to tell us a bit about how the experience was. So. If you could start just by telling us what kind of Mac you've got, what kind of hardware that you're working with there, yep. uh, and it, it yeah, give so people an idea of what age of Mac they, this would be good for. Yeah, so this was actually my first uh, Mac. Uh, you know, I had been a, a, a Mac opponent for years and years and years, <laughs> you know, because, you know, used other operating systems and so on, including Linux, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But mm-hmm. um, but this particular device is... a. a iMac 2009, 21.5 inch. Um, I bought it in 2010. I bought it as one of the refurbished models. So, of course, saved a bunch of money doing that way. By the way, that's a hint. If you need Mac devices, refurbished is your friend. Oh, yes. Refurbs. Um, And so I had the thing sitting out in the garage and brought it in and started playing with it. Now, I've. I've been using Linux for a while. I'm not quite as big a Linux advocate as uh, some of our other tech pot, tech members <laughs> right. uh thomas and Erho, i believe is one of them who's very strong on yep. it father joseph but, um, and jack are both <laughs> and jack, linux yep. guys, yeah uh big, big time linux guys but i've been using linux since uh 1995 mm. so almost 30 years i used it if for those who are familiar with linux if you've heard the term slackware linux that was my first distro all 20 discs downloading over the <laughs> the air force uh, T1 because I didn't have a choice in the matter. I had dial up or do it that way. Um, I, when I was at seminary, I used Linux as my primary operating system. So I've used Linux for years. I'm very familiar with Linux. I still run Linux today. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something I know well. Great. And, uh, so what version of Linux did you decide to install on this one? So I tried a couple different versions and one, one, um, one that I tried that seemed to work the best for me was Linux Mint, but it's Linux Mint with what they call LXDE. The, the desktop environment is a lighter desktop environment. Um, okay. the, the, the caveat that I really want to say is when you're talking about which version, which distro to use, everyone has their strengths. Everyone has their weaknesses. You know, you're going to have to do some uh, Google foo. Foo, you know, you have to do some searching and seeing what other people have had success with. You're going to have to try downloading them. 
and t- just running them. A lot of one nice thing, a lot of Linux distros, they, they you can try before you buy, so to speak, that you can plug in the USB key that you put it on. It'll boot up and you can play with it a little bit before you actually swap it to the hard drive. Um, and s- some distros will do better with older hardware than others. So, OK. I've heard Pop OS is one that people like. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, this Ubuntu is a famous one. Joanne, you've got yep. you've had a tiny bit of experience installing Ubuntu. Yes, but I of course have it on Parallels, right? Which it's is a virtual, virtual machine, machine. Yeah. so it's a little bit different than putting it right on the disk. So, but yeah, they gave me like two or three choices because I have a newer Mac. Okay, and yep. Ubuntu was one of them, and they said this is good for beginners. And gee, it it, it loaded real quick although i wasn't used to seeing all the uh, script right <laughs> right father cory why would someone choose how would you choose between installing in a virtual machine or installing right to the metal right to you know straight on top of the drive right. well and again i think this would depend on what your hardware is you know if you're if you're dealing with a newer mac that you just you you want to put linux as a second operating system on it a uh, virtual machine would be great uh, if you're dealing with, like I said, like the old 2009, 2008, somewhere in that era, you know, if you're talking something that's 15 years old, it's not going to have the horsepower and to have the virtual machine plus Mac OS running and have any kind of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a, that would be a big concern. Of course, then you'd also have the security issues of Mac OS if you're running a 10 year old version of Mac OS because your hardware is not updated anymore. Um, right. Another thing is. The Apple Silicon, the M1s and the soon to be M2s and so on, are just now starting to get Linux support directly. Right. So that could be a real issue if you want to run Linux. You still need to use the you know x86 64 bit version under like a virtual machine or an emulator or something like that. Uh, by the way, I want to call out you know someone who's been a friend of SQPN for years, Jeff Gearling. Yep. Uh, he's got yes. a great YouTube channel where he talks about a lot of these kind of things, uh, especially the he recently brought out a couple of videos about the Apple Silicon uh, support in Linux. So yeah. check him out. He's, he's a good one. Jeff, just a big time YouTuber these days. I got to say, I'm really impressed. Yeah, he's, with he's, he's in it pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Got to send it, him some support. Yeah, he's he's great. Uh, if you if you want to get into, he does the like really geeky things like installing an, a 48 drive NAS on a raspberry pi things you know i mean just really awesome stuff like that yep. uh, well speaking of which actually i i have a raspberry pi and that has a version of linux on it the raspbian mm-hmm. os so like yeah yep. i guess i've got a little experience there uh so you've decided to install linux on an old mac how do how do you do it how do you install it where do you get it you know i, I and joanne you can probably talk to a little bit about this but i, mm-hmm. I would argue that the linux install is actually easier than windows yes but but <laughs> that doesn't mean you're not going to have speed bumps. Uh, I mean, ultimately, if, if Linux is going to work, what you do is you download the ISO, you download the install image from a, whatever distro, Ubuntu or Red Hat, or I guess Fedora, they call it, um, or Linux Mint or Pop OS, whichever distro you've chosen to try. You download it and then you burn to uh, just a USB thumb drive, you know, about a you know, 16 gig, I think is usually the minimum 32 gig is what I've been using. And then there's an app that I, I gave Dom the link. It's called Belina Etcher. And this is, I think, one of the more popular of the cross-platform tools. You run the app. You plug in your USB drive. You say, this file, this drive, go. Okay. And it creates that live USB. It keep, creates that USB 
installer that you then just put in the Mac and you boot it up. So I just want to, you know, I want to back up a sec. So on another Mac, say on your Mac that you're not converting, say you would run this. Right. Or, Mac it, or Windows or right. Linux. I mean, you could, you could do it on the Mac if you haven't blown everything away yet. Yes. Okay. That's what I was going to say. So you, you run this you, and it sets up the thumb drive with whatever it's going to need to do so that when you put it in the Mac that you're going to install Linux on, that's going to, just to be clear, that's going to blow away everything that's on that drive right now, right? It's going to format the drive. There, there are ways that you can not do that. Okay. And when you're doing the install, um, when you actually make the choice to install, because again, it's going to boot into a live environment. It's going to boot into, you're running it off of that USB key. It has not touched your hardware. And by the way, I, I've gotten the habit of calling them USB keys, not USB thumb drives. I should right. make that clear. Mm, USB yep. thumb drives. It's not touched your hard drive yet. It's not done anything to your hardware it's just running that particular distro off of that usb thumb drive okay eventually you can have the choice to either do the easy install which is wipe and replace or you can do some repartitioning linux has tools that can take the say the mac os uh, operating system that's on the hard drive and shrink that partition okay without damaging mac os all right all right now on parallels, they only give you a couple of choices. Mm-hmm. So my choices were Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and Kali. Yeah, Kali. yeah those he's... were the four that I was allowed to choose from. Right, those are the big it. names, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, Fedora used to be called Red Hat, and that, that's when I tried and I had some some issues with on my particular Mac, and I'll talk about that. There's Hardware is kind of a concern, but yeah, there's there, there's a couple big ones. I mean, you can you can really get into the weeds if you want to start looking at distros. There are people that put out distros that have very tight, specific things that they do, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That, that gets a little, little too in the weeds, I think, for most people. Ubuntu, <laughs> right. Fedora, Which is why I are... chose something that looked like I, I, I've heard it before. So I was like, OK, that's going to be OK. OK. Yeah. And it should mention Debian is what you could call the upstream version of Ubuntu. Ubuntu is built off of Debian. And that's one thing you're okay. going to find too, is that there are distros that are based off of distros. Red, uh, Linux Mint is the other one that I mentioned. That one's distro off the distro. You know, it's, it's built right. from other distros People too. People take so. it, they modify it, they call it something new. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so you've got the Belina Etcher is a, is a nice way. So you're running. So first you can run the, the, computer off of the thumb drive so you could just you could just stop there right you could just say i only i want to you know boot up off of the thumb drive and uh when i want to run linux on this and that's where i want to do and i don't want to touch anything else i just want to run it like this but or you could install it and just kind of change it over to a mac linux computer right or completely linux altogether yeah i mean you've got all these different options uh the problem with the with the thumb drive though is a lot of them are still usb2 so, so they're going to be slow. slow. Yeah, yeah. That's it's true. usable, but it's not a speed demon by any stretch of the okay. imagination. Excuse me. So what were the pitfalls and problems that you encountered in, in doing this? What were some of the things that people might run into while they're trying to get this going? Well, one, one big thing is um, if you know anything about the Intel Macs, they're by and large off the shelf components. Most of the stuff that Matt, Apple put in these computers were off-the-shelf chips, so your Bluetooth and your Wi-Fi and your webcam and all that stuff. But 
certain versions of Macs have different chips that that are more or less supported by Linux. Okay. Linux has fairly incredible uh, support for hardware. And some of it is because the open source community has reverse engineered it and figured it out. Some mm-hmm. of it because like NVIDIA, for example, support directly their hardware on Linux. And so you may run into like certain additions, like say my 2015 MacBook Pro that I'm using right now. I don't think the Bluetooth works. Either the Bluetooth or Wi-Fi does, I don't believe works under Linux. I could, I could be speaking wrong, but there are certain laptops where you won't get Wi-Fi. There are certain laptops you won't get Bluetooth. Webcams are, are historically an issue within. So if being able to use your, your built-in webcam, that could be a concern for you. Um, okay. So, th- like I said, most things will run. Obviously, the operating system will run on the processor because it is, they are off-the-shelf Intel processors. Intel, by and large, did not make Mac editions of their processors. So, um, so that's not an issue. Another issue I ran into is the startup manager, you know, the, the boot menu, the, the device that, you know, you got to hold down the option key. You pretty much have to use a wired keyboard. Wireless keyboards don't wake up fast enough. Right. Because Mac just goes, okay, you've got two seconds. You're done. <laughs> yeah. I, I mentioned this last week where I ran, when I was setting up my Mac studio, uh, that it wouldn't recognize either my trackpad or my uh, or well, I had a, I have a wired keyboard, but it wouldn't recognize my trackpad. Um, and actually, my wired keyboard was being flaky, but that was because of something else mm-hmm. on the USB chain. And I ended up having to grab the the keyboard and mouse off of my Raspberry Pi and using those oh, which sure. is, was a tip I mentioned last week is this. Everyone should have a wired mouse mm-hmm. and a wired keyboard. The cheap ones that you bought at the corner yep. store are fine for 10 bucks as a pair, you know, in a closet yeah. somewhere for troubleshooting. That's just the thing you yep. should, that everyone should have in their toolbox. Uh, so you're right. Uh, is, um, the, the Bluetooth d- doesn't come up fast. doesn't recognize at a low enough level for you right. to use that as a setup for mm-hmm. Linux or anything. And I, I have a, a one of those wireless, what I've been using for this is one of those wireless Logitech keyboards with the trackpad built in, the oh, little yeah. tiny one, the K400s, I think it is. Uh-huh. And that even wasn't fast enough booting up, you know, because it's, it's, it's a regular wireless USB, so it's got the little dongle that sits yeah. in the back of the Mac, but it still wasn't coming up fast enough. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, so you need an actual wired keyboard to be able to do this. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a good point, though. It is good to have a, just a plain wired keyboard just to be ready. Yeah. Uh, and then one concern might be if, if your Mac that you're looking at doing this is still getting firmware updates, meaning still getting Mac OS updates, mm-hmm. you cannot firmware update your system without updating Mac OS. Apple has tied right. the two together. Mm-hmm. And I had actually had an issue with that on one of my device on this device where it on this laptop where I had changed the internal SSD and it caused a firmware problem with Mac OS. Oh, okay. So, um, so you've got to be careful. I couldn't update Mac OS. I think it was the big Sur because right. of this firmware issue. So if you want to make sure you keep getting firmware updates, you need to have a bootable Mac OS, even if it's like, you know, a hundred gigabyte partition on your hard drive to right. just boot up, do the update and then leave. Yeah. That's the and if if your Mac is more than I think it's seven or eight years old now, uh, it's yeah. they they're they're not getting updates anymore. They they officially they, there's a list on Apple's website of which Macs are uh, obsolete enough. Uh, so 
that would be that would be you would certainly be a good candidate for this because at least this way you've got a, a version of of Linux on there that is is getting updates and that sort of thing. So getting what update. about what about um, security malware? Uh, mm-hmm. um, virus protection because those that'll be is that different for you know is it is Linux more susceptible to that thing than 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 Macs are Mac OS? No, I think it's actually less. You know, of course, Linux is actively developed. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of people throughout the world who every package is being gone over. Everything you know, if there's a security up or security problem found, it's updated very quickly, usually within days um sometimes faster than sometimes you know windows and you know microsoft and apple both are going there's not a problem there's not a problem there's not a problem oh linux already fixed it you know okay okay <laughs> you know so yep. um so they're very good and that that actually is a good reason why to install linux mm-hmm. um is because if you have an older mac os version that's not receiving security updates anymore there are bugs that you know apple has fixed where it has gone back 15 years in Mac OS. Yep. But they've only updated, you know, so many editions, you know, versions of it. Basically, I think uh, uh, Apple is updating like security updates for the last three years. So like right now, I think it's Big Sur, Catalina and Monterey and yep. anything older than that is not getting updates in yeah. general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Monterey gets replaced by, I don't know, Death Valley, uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever, they, whatever California <laughs> landmark, uh, they, uh, they're the, you know, Big Sur will fall off the back end. So you have to be, uh, you know, uh, cognizant of that. And yes, so if you're using it, if you're still running Mac OS Yosemite or some mm-hmm. of those older ones or Maverick on an old, old Mac, you're safer with Linux on it. Because yes. the Linux is going to be up to date. You'll have you'll have an, you should get an antivirus. You should have malware. Like I think malware bytes even runs on Linux. A lot of these packages will run on Linux, and you should have these security protections. But that definitely should be there. Yeah. Is that is that the same for a virtual machine? You should have um, malware protection. Yeah. No, but what I'm saying is you're say, you're talking about putting these on the metal. Right. If you're in a virtual machine are you, and you're not able to upgrade the Mac OS, are you still getting protected? No. See, well, that's the concern I, yeah, I mentioned that's earlier. My if you are in a virtual machine on an outdated version of Mac OS, your hardware is still at risk because of that outdated right. version of Mac OS. You're still okay. getting Mac OS running there. Yeah. Even if all you do is just have macOS running, and then the only thing that's running on macOS is a virtual machine, you're still going to have the risk. You're still, yeah. Okay. okay. That's. I just so. want to be clear about that for for folks like me who like to run these things on virtual machines. So that's yeah. uh, that's no, a that's... little bit of uh, why we would install Linux. You know, just because if we have an obsolete OS, this is a not a, a up to date OS that gives us more protection. What what can I do on Linux? What right. software can I install? Well, and, and one thing I want to mention, I, I forgot to add with why installing Linux is if you are running on an older hardware, li- there are Linux distros that are designed for that, which means they will run faster than Mac OS will. So that's another thing to, to think about. Um, oh, OK. But what software, you know, there's for a lot of things that most people do, most people, if we're really honest, we use our systems for uh, browsing the web. We use our systems for checking email. We use our systems for word processors. We use our systems for games. We use, you know, we don't really use most of us. Most people I would venture, especially your home users, don't use dedicated software 
that that needs to be on a Mac or on a Windows system. Right. You could run, you know, a Linux equivalent. There's a lot of Linux equivalents. Now, like you won't have Microsoft Office, but there's LibreOffice, L-I-B-R-E, LibreOffice is a very good for most people. Again, when you use Microsoft Office, how often do we use all the, the bells and whistles that aren't in the other versions? 90% you know, of the people the other... use 20% of the features, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you've got things like, you know, these open source uh, mail clients and, uh, like I said, office tools. Uh, if you use Firefox, if you use Google Chrome, there are versions of those available on Linux. And it's the same browser, works the same way, you know, and it does all the same things. So like we, you know, we use our Google Meet here for our recording. It runs just fine on Linux, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Um, one thing that's a big game changer in the recent years, last five years or so, is Steam support for games on Linux. Valve right. has done a lot of work both to have native games, games where you develop it using the, the Steam API and it will run on Linux natively, but they also do on what's called Wine. The Wine is not an emulator. It's an API interface. They, they, by the way, open source likes these. Let's take an acronym and put the acronym in the name of it. So <laughs> right. Wine is not an emulator. Right, right. W-I-N-E. <laughs> um, but it, it, what it allows you to do is run Windows apps on Linux. And they have put a lot of support. Steam has given a lot of support. So there are Windows apps that run well on Wine. And there are games that are Windows-only games that Steam has ported to this Wine. They call it the Proton, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and the game runs just fine on Linux. Nice, nice. And that's a, that's a, a thing I want to emphasize is the speed. That's one of the, the big benefits of doing this is because Linux tends to be a, a lighter operating system. So some of these, mm -hmm. anyway, like Linux Mint. And so on older hardware, it doesn't have all of the overhead that newer operating systems like Monterey are bringing, trying to do. So that's why it will run faster. Uh, so right. that's, that's a big thing. I, I will say, you know, if, if there's, you know, like I said, more dedicated software, if you're, if you're doing video editing and you're familiar with like Final Cut Pro, there really isn't a good option that's the equivalent. Mm -hmm. I mean, there mm -hmm. are some editors and they work, but they're, they're still a little clunky. Um, don't if expect to get I, Microsoft Office or the Adobe Creative Suite no, or those things. No. But you can get things like Blender, which is a high-end 3D yep. animation thing and other other things like that. But if you if you need those things, you already know this. <laughs> like you already yeah, know, exactly. like if you use those high-end things. But for most regular folks at home or in, in a church office, frankly, that would be this mm -hmm. is a great option because churches often have old hardware. Uh LibreOffice or the the Google suite on, you know, in the browser, like Google Docs and Sheets are fantastic options that work just fine under Linux. Exactly. So I, I think most, like I said, most people, if you're using, if you're looking into this, you'll be fine under Linux. You'll have no problems. You'll have no, you know, mm -hmm. it's just going to be learning, you know, a different interface. And once you learn the different interface, it's pretty easy to work with. It's actually kind of fun too sometimes. Yeah. My question is specific to the kind of job that kind of, you know, um, mm -hmm. jobs that I work with. How do you convince people in ministry to not, <laughs> and they're both laughing already because yeah. they know where I'm going with yes. this question, yep. to use something like LibreOffice instead of Word so that you can keep their computers going? Because you know that there's at least in a closet somewhere in every rectory five or ten 
old laptops that you could mm-hmm. do this to, and they would run just fine. But you're not going. They're going to say, "Where's Word? Where's Excel?" Uh, I'll <laughs> tell you how to convince the pastor and the business manager is okay. <laughs> it's free. Free. <laughs> so right. that's that's the big one. So LibreOffice is free. Uh, you're keeping old hardware rolling. You don't need to buy a new computer, Father. This is you. You can keep using your older computer, and it will still have a mouse, and it will still have icons, and it will look just well, the same. You know, the funny part is, of course, people have had to with Word and Excel and all these. They've had to do change after change after change mm-hmm. as Microsoft has changed things. And you know, how do you yeah. find it now on the ribbon toolbar versus the menus and the buttons? Mm-hmm. And so, just tell them. It's just a new version of Microsoft Office, just called LibreOffice now. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, too. But you can also go through the browser, I would suspect. You could do, yes. That you can go to Microsoft through the browser. Right. Microsoft lets you do Office in the browser, and that would probably Mm. work just just the same, too. Yeah. And the other thing is Safari, they don't have a a way to put Safari on. Not on Linux. Not on Linux? Your options are generally, I think... Uh, Chrome, Firefox, uh, yeah, Brave. Chrome, Firefox, Brave. There's a couple work? of those others. Uh, I would bet Opera works. I'm guessing. Yeah, I think Vol- there's a Linux version of Opera, if I recall. I haven't and used it in years. Vivaldi so is another one that's on. Mm. Uh, that's on there too. So yeah, yeah. So it's. I don't know if Microsoft Edge isn't, but I know no. Safari's not. No, no. So no Edge, <laughs> no Edge, yeah. no Safari. All right, but there's so. A lot of other things. So one thing I anticipate some listeners asking is, is, all right, we're talking about Linux on Mac. Why are we just talking about Linux on Mac? What about Linux on Windows? And the reason being is that's already what Linux does is yeah. Linux for already is basically runs on Windows PC hardware. So if you buy yep. a Dell or a Acer or whatever out there, you those that's already how most people run Linux on machines. They just buy a regular PC. Uh, but this was a special case for, well, what if you have a Mac? It's not the same. And that's why we're, we're talking about it uh, in that yep, case. Exactly. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Father Corey, thank you for going through all of that and uh, taking the, taking one for the team to, to, to figure out the, how to, how to do this. If listeners have additional questions that you would like or tips or advice you would like to give to people about, about putting Linux on a Mac, uh, you can let us know. You can email us at technology at sqpn.com or jump into the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And uh, you can ask your questions there and we have a nice conversation back and forth. Yes, absolutely. All right. Before we move on to the next part of the show, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Tess W., Philip G., Danny L., Joshua G., and Gray B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So uh, our first headline, nothing really big happened in tech this week. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> Let the, me laugh. The big news in tech this week is that e- the world's richest man, Elon Musk, has struck a deal to buy Twitter for, and everyone wants to, has to tell you the number, $44 billion, which is not literally coming out of his bank account. Those sorts of deals are include lots of uh, loans and other investors joining in and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, so... Yeah, this is a this has caused a lot of conversation. Some people are concerned. Um, everybody's got an opinion on it, so why don't we throw ours in as well? Um, sure. 
but uh, the the big thing is to, uh, just to say what in his own words why he's doing this is he wants to he, he says he needs to, he wants to promote free speech and he feels like Twitter as one of the major public squares of our time that it has not been transparent enough in how it's regulating speech on the platform. He feels like it's too restrictive towards some speech. Uh, so his plan is to make the algorithm more transparent. And the, so the algorithm that's been become a buzzword that me, that people use mm. for all kinds of things. But I think more specifically, a, how it shows you, how it the, the computers decide to show you which tweets, because right. uh, the regular Twitter client doesn't show you everything in reverse chronological order of people you follow, but it, it decides you you might want to see this one more than another one, uh, but also things like encouraging free speech to end the the more vigorous policing of speech that has been happening, uh, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, so, what do y'all think first, just off the top of this happening, and then we can talk about maybe what we can hope to see from Twitter and other social media as we go forward. How, how about you, Father Corey? Well, it's it's kind of funny, you know, you can imagine being able to just raise forty four billion dollars in a week. That must be kind of nice. <laughs> you know, nice. I'm, I'm lucky I could raise forty four dollars in a week. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I, I I got some cautious hope. Admittedly, you know, I'm a, to put disclaimer here. I'm very happy with Elon Musk because he gave me good Internet at home. Thanks to Starlink. So, <laughs> right, right. Okay. I mean, there, 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 there is that. But. No, it, there's been concerns with Twitter for some time that certain speech that should be allowed, I, I would argue, isn't. You know, we're not talking about abusive speech. We're not talking about scamming. We're not talking about stuff like that. We're talking about political speech that is absolutely legitimate political speech, is legitimate disagreements, and Twitter takes one side of the argument, and, yes. and the other side is not allowed to present. There's been real concern about that, whether it's through shadow banning, through outright manning, through deleting tweets and so on. So um, I, I'm hoping this will be a good thing. It'll be nice to see how the algorithm works, because one of the nice things about Twitter when it first came out is you saw a chronological feed. And mm-hmm. then they started tweaking that and they tweaked it a little bit more and tweaked it a little bit more. And now it's not even close. Right. As we talked about in that uh, our special, a few on, when we discussed that Netflix documentary, uh, they they tweak it to get engagement. And that's one of the things that, that has perhaps been one of the, the downsides of social media is engagement sometimes equals outrage. And so what happens was when they tweak the algorithm, they're tweaking the outrage and that has not been good for our society. Um, uh, one of the, I, I want to just jump, we'll get, to, I, I want to get to your response to too, but I, I want to r- remark on something you said too, about one of the concerns for a lot of people like me is things that a, regular orthodox catholic might say are banned on twitter like you cannot you know talk about certain sexual moral ethics issues on twitter without getting a ban i i have censored myself i've i have purposefully not said things on twitter because i don't want to deal with getting you know a slap on the wrist or go to twitter jail for two days or however long sometimes it's not even putting out a positive you know this is what i believe it's saying, like, say, for example, a certain war over in, you know, Eastern Europe. I think both sides have some real issues to be worried about. Right. Mm. You know, neither side is, is, you know, pristine in this war. And even that gets you shadow banned. That, Potentially. Even that gets yeah. you censored, you know. Yeah. Joanne, what about you? I don't want to give you a chance to, to mention. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm having huge issues with very rich people. 
getting to do things that the normal person can't. Okay. A normal person, like you said, you get it, you end up in Twitter jail Mm -hmm. or you end up in Facebook jail for saying the wrong things. Yet someone who has the money can buy something like this and then say, okay, y'all can do whatever you want or you can't, or I don't like that. Or I am having issues with, with this kind of stuff because it's still an infringement on free speech. No matter what, I mean, somebody owns this now. Well, someone always like, owned it, though. Right. Yeah. But this guy has been very vocal about a few things. And it's like, okay, so now he owns the playground. What's well, going to happen? I would say, in response, someone else. So it's just someone else owning the playground with a different point of view than the previous owner. So right. these are all private enterprises mm-hmm. that they they get to set the rules. They're they're not public uh, venues. They're not owned by the you know by the government or by the people. Um, and so in on the one hand, that's their prerogative. Um, and yeah, it 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 comes down to. I mean, this is this is not a new to Elon Musk. Uh, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post mm-hmm. and owns Amazon. Zuckerberg has got Facebook. You know, and this has been a question: Is is these billionaires getting to decide how these big venues, these public squares work. And as a society, we've, we've not yet figured out how to deal with that. What, what, you know, do we, do we get to tell them what they can't do that? And so some responses previously to Musk buying Twitter have been to people like, well, go start your own. And people have Mm. like Getter or MeWe or uh, Mm -hmm. Truth Social, which, that's a whole other issue (laughs) yeah and but some people have gone to those and a lot of people have not and and i would rather see a proliferation of a lot of those Mm -hmm. where people can speak as freely as they want but not take something as big as a twitter and now say okay so now we're going to put it in an even it's just a whole free speech thing I, i don't i think people need to know we don't have free speech we, and if well, we do have free speech, we have to know when to take those consequences. Well, mm-hmm. we don't have free speech on Twitter. Is that what you mean? Like, You can, I mean, if we put something up on Facebook, for example, right. that is Catholic bent, yep. mm-hmm. it gets taken down. Sure. You know. Or and, Twitter and so, or, yeah. Right. Yep. So where's my free speech? Right. There is no, there's no absolute free speech on any right. private social network. That's, right. that is true. I mean, there's no absolute free speech period. There's things you can't right. say, but yes, one, uh, I agree. One, one concern too, with the uh, go, go build your own is people have gone build their own and then the other sites attack them and have their uh, own taken down. Right. You know, so. Or get Apple I mean, and Google to take their apps off the stores. So, yes. Yep. yep uh, exactly. So. I mean, so it's I I don't like I said, I don't have a problem with this. We'll see what Elon Musk does. Will he because he wants to open it up where you can say it, you know, and again, as long as it's not like really abusive, not just like Mm. you hurt my feelings, but like, okay, this person has just threatened me and my dog. You know, that kind of abusive. To to be honest, (laughs) what I would like to see is like as long as there's a block button where I can block people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I am, I, I, I'm, I'm almost like, you know, let's turn the dial. It's always about turning a dial more or less. Um, turn the dial up and let, let people go. And if I don't like what people are saying, I'll block them, you know, yep. and it should people, be up to us. Right. In the past 10 years or so, the, the dial has been turned toward, 
you know, uh, if people make me feel bad about myself and I, I, I kind of get a little controversial, but uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Cause, but yeah. what the dial has been turned toward, if people make me feel bad about myself, if they say things that make me feel bad, then they shouldn't have the ability to say that. So if exactly. someone makes me feel bad about my choices uh, that I've in my lifestyle, that they should be shut down if they if especially if they're saying those things from a particular uh, religious or mm. political point of view that isn't mine. And that's my that's a, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with mm. r- with shutting down cer- only part certain viewpoints. Um, you don't have a right to the, the whole you don't have a right to be wrong. Like, no, people have a right to be wrong. And let's let truth have a ha- have a have a battle with with falsehood. And if truth is true, it'll win. And people need to I think I think in general in our society, we've we've kind of gotten toward suppress other people's speech if we don't like it. Right. Yeah, right. I think we need to learn how to live together and agree to disagree. Yes. But mm-hmm. even people can't figure out what that is anymore. Right. You know, now, what is, if, if you don't agree with me, you're a bad person. That's the blanket. Right. It's not simply that I think you're wrong. It's that you're evil <laughs> yeah. and you have no right. Uh, so one thing I would like to see as a result is first, I don't think Elon Musk is the second coming. I don't think he's going to. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't think he perfectly aligns with my point of view on politics or religion or any of those things like that. Uh, I, I admire the fact that he's done things like build Tesla and build SpaceX mm. and that sort of stuff. I, I really do. Um, and I like some of what he's saying, but one of the, a, a few concrete things I'd like to see, it would be nice to get clear explanations of what exactly <laughs> community standards are, yeah. what yeah. specific, specific behaviors and words will lead to Twitter jail or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it has been so up in the air, like, Oh, you violated our community standards. Like, how like, what was it? Melanie quoted the Princess Bride, uh, you know, almost like you kill you in the morning, that whole line. Mm-hmm. Yep. And got put in Facebook jail like for 12 hours because like it's a movie quote like or when I got Facebook banned because I quoted St. Augustine, you know, uh, yeah. man is a miserable creature or something, something, you know, it's like it, 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 we don't. But but a lot of times people get banned and they're like, I don't understand why. Like. <laughs> The robots aren't trained to the algorithm is not trained to distinguish between a it should be a quote from something obscure or a movie Mm -hmm. and and what somebody is saying. They don't understand intent. Well, yeah, just the fact that you have an A.I. that decides who's going to get banned or not should already be part of the problem. Right. Someone yeah. was posting a silly meme the other day. It was like an innocuous, like, I don't know, Kermit the Frog or something. And they got got it taken down because of it was related to human trafficking and exploitation. And you look at going, Kermit? Kermit? <laughs> like, it was this <laughs> bizarre. It didn't make any sense. And this is the thing is, is it's a kind of gaslighting because no one really knows what behavior is going to lead to discipline. That's a that's a mm. kind of emotional and mental abuse. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And that's what that's the how these moderations in, on Facebook and Twitter and these places are are, are doing. So that's one of the things I'm, I'm really hoping for is to see mm-hmm. clear mm-hmm. explanations of what will lead to moderation uh, of your content. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things go. 
All right, uh, let's move on to something that's a little bit related, which is another headline. Google, Meta, i.e. Facebook, and the others will have to explain their algorithms under new EU legislation. So this is a story out of The Verge, and the European Union has passed a new law called the, I want to get it right, Digital Services Act, which will require large uh, tech companies, uh, online services, to do a few things. One, to make their algorithms transparent. That's one thing we've been talking about that that Mm -hmm. Elon Musk has been saying. So they need to make how their algorithms decide what to show you, uh, how they does that to, uh, to end dark patterns. We've talked about that on the show a few times. These are confusing or deceptive user interfaces that are designed to steer users into making certain choices. If you've ever, um, gotten a, a a dialogue box where you like the okay button is huge and the cancel or no button is this tiny little thing you have to search yep. for you know that's that's a deceptive practice or a dark pattern um and then uh one of the things i find most controversial though is a ban on targeted advertising based on individuals religion sexual orientation or ethnicity mm. and I understand what they're trying to prevent is to is 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 discrimination against people, but this is a problem for religious yeah. groups. Mm. You know, if I oh, very uh, much so. I in the past have often used Facebook's advertising to promote our podcast, but I want to promote them first to say Catholics who would be interested in podcast, like Catholics who like yeah. Star Trek are, mm. are, are a great audience for secrets of Star Trek. Uh, now I want a, a lot more than just Catholics can enjoy it, but that, that's where I wanted to start. But if I can't advertise based on that, or if I've got selling first communion dresses, I'm a, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or that sort of thing. I can't target the, the you know, Catholic religious group. I don't know. That just seems bad to me. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, because there's there's quite a few things that we would target as Catholics or religious groups would target that other people really aren't interested in. Right. And but if you can't, if you if it has to be a broad thing, it's what it would explain again. They want it to be a narrow thing or a broad thing. You're not allowed to advertise to someone based on their religion sexual orientation or ethnicity. So you can't go into the Facebook yeah, that's... ads and say, uh, I want to find all Catholics in the U S uh, between the ages of 18 and 65. That's not allowed anymore. Uh, age is yeah. another one that you can't do as well. Yeah, um, but see, they wouldn't want a podcast on liturgy. So why would I want to put that out there to the entire world? I'd want to narrow my, right. my marketing strategy exactly. to get to the people who really would want to hear something like this. Well, and, I'm thinking too, if a parish wanted to do like an ad campaign to promote something like you know, something like uh, that man is you or the, your light is the light is on for mm. confessions or whatever, you're obviously going to want to address it to Catholics in your area. A Lutheran's not going to care that the parish is having mm-hmm. uh, confessions. A Muslim definitely won't. You know, someone who's atheist definitely won't. Right. You know, you, so it's like yeah. They might be, be offended. Yeah. Right. And push the, you know, button that says this offends me. Right. Exactly. On Facebook. Into Facebook jail. Right. It used to be the the the, the tools were so granular, you could almost target an individual. In fact, I was reading a, a, a book a while ago about uh, pr- promoting on Facebook. And the guy was saying that he did this for his wife for her birthday, where he created a Facebook ad that was so targeted that she's the only person who would see it. And so when she went on Facebook, she, like the ads were all like to her and which That's is funny. cute. 
but like they got they've gotten they've dialed it back so much over the years and part of the problem is is when you have a large audience it gets much more expensive to run those ads so -hmm. when you have a large undifferentiated audience it it also puts the advertising out of reach of small nonprofits and like parishes Mm. and groups like us. So I I have a problem with this law. The the thing is, is it's an EU law. So Mm -hmm. it technically only really applies to the European union, but like a lot of these other things that these, you know, super restrictive laws, a lot of companies like, I'm not going to make up laws just for the, you know, change policies just for the European union. I I'm going to just implement this worldwide and you deal with it. Well, uh, and one example we see of that is how many times you go to a website and, you know, this website uses cookies. Oh that my first gosh. came in because of the EU data protection Every law, day. which is Every a good day. law by and, by and large. But the biggest thing is it gives you that stupid pop up that you have to hit accept all cookies, accept some cookies, accept no cookies. Yeah, and, and nobody pays attention to the pop up anymore. Everyone just automatically clicks it, which is a problem. That's what I do. Yeah. I click because it's like, and it's worse when I, I use Flipboard. Yeah. So when I go to these sites, it's almost like three quarters of my screen says, <laughs> hello, we do cookies. What right. do you think? Yep. Yeah. Like, I don't GD- care. GDPR, I think is the, the thing. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yep. it's, it's a hassle anyway. So uh, let's go to our next headline. Uh, if you've been sharing your Netflix password or using someone else's like moms or dads, that mm. may be coming to an end. So Netflix is finally going after password sharing. And this is how they're going to do it. They're not cutting you off. And that's that's good to hear. Uh, so what they plan to, and in, I should state up front, in the past, Netflix has basically encouraged password sharing. Oh, yeah. uh, they sent a tweet out in 2017, love is sharing a password. So uh, <laughs> they were okay with it while they were building audience. They were more interested in eyeballs than subscribers. Well, just this past fiscal quarter, they, for the first time ever, had a, a decline in the number of subscribers, and that's got a lot of people worried. So they, Netflix has said that in the U.S., no, in, I'm sorry, worldwide, more than 100 million households are, sh- are using a shared po- password, 100 million, including 30 million in the U.S. and Canada. So what they plan to do, and they've started testing this in a few countries, is charging an additional fee to add a sub account for up to two people outside the home. So you have your main account. And then if you want to have people outside the home, use it, they have to pay an additional lesser fee. And it right now it varies based on exchange rates, but it's somewhere around two or $3 in, in some of these other countries. Um, the, there's a lot of question around implementing it. What if I have a college kid at college what if I go on vacation and I want to, you know, watch Netflix while I'm at the beach house or something? Um, and then there's there's also the question of how many people are going to go for this or just cancel altogether or not bother to sign up a sub account. So what do you all think of this just in general, the the password sharing and cracking down on it? I have not done any password sharing up until recently. (laughs) Um, No, and I have listened to all of my friends who have done it repeatedly over the years. And the thing is, is that, number one, I believe that Netflix lost a lot more this past quarter because they jacked up their rates. This has nothing to do with anything else but... They keep jacking the rates up. And if you're not watching Netflix a lot, like I don't 
watch it religiously, yep. then, you know, $17 a month becomes a little cost prohibitive in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, if you have somebody to share that with, it becomes more manageable. And if you're given two or three logins anyway, then, and they promoted that in the beginning, mm-hmm. what's the problem? They're still making money. The, the right. corporate jets are still on the going and flying. You know, <laughs> they're, they're still making a profit. So far. Well, that's the thing is, is, their, I think their biggest problem is that they they're losing they're they're losing out on the content battle. The, a lot of mm-hmm. the content that they were living off, of, which was other people's intellectual properties like Friends and those things, are moving to streaming services owned by the the IP owners, uh, you know Disney and those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they're still so they need to make more of their own original content, which they haven't been as much. But uh, they've got so much content on there, and some of it yeah. is icky. Oh, some of I it mean, is it's, it's just so trite. It's like <laughs> yeah. they yeah. kept throwing money at people saying, here, create this. And I'm like, really? I wouldn't watch it. Yeah. Um, but, and there's also the, the, favorable, the, the popular um, practice of I'm going to watch The Crown for two months, and then I'm going to... Get rid of Netflix and come back later when the crown comes on the next season. So I just think if they do a little cost cutting of their own, maybe scale back a little on the amount of content they're trying to fill in there. And they go back to some of what they were known for in the beginning, which was movies. Right. (laughs) You know, a lot of us have been with Netflix since we were able to get the The DVDs DVDs, by mail. (laughs) Go back to movies. I might That's have one or two pe- of those still around here somewhere. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a collector's item. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but I think if they, you know, they might have to reevaluate their business plan. Yeah. But instead of keep jacking that price up, because you know what? That's what's going to make them lose people or have folks do this kind of thing. Because I'll tell you, if they come yep. to me and say a little bit more money, I'm going to say I'm going to Hulu. Yeah. Right. right. And that last one's kind of the big point. They're no longer the only game in town. You know, when they first came out with their streaming services, they were the only game in town. And yeah, for 10 bucks, you could basically all you could eat everything they had on streaming. Now, it wasn't much, but it was a start. But yeah, I think the idea of them losing market share because they're losing material is is really true. You know, uh, Star Trek, for example, is no longer available on in Netflix in many areas because now it's all on Paramount Plus. Um, Other other services have dropped other things. And then you've got Amazon that's out there and they're just as big as far as what you can get through streaming and so on. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and admittedly, I'm, you know, as I said, I'm sitting at my dad's house and I've got an Apple TV sitting under his big screen TV with all my logins to services. So, right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I don't have Netflix. Yeah. I don't currently have Netflix, but I've got other services that I use and that I've given him access to as well. So, and the other services so far have not, you know, said anything about, cracking down on password sharing, uh, which, you know, maybe they're going to see how it goes for Netflix. Yeah, but, they're watching. Uh, so one of the, the, the uh, data points they said was they did a survey and they suggested about 80% of Americans who use someone else's password wouldn't get their own new account if they couldn't share the password. So I think that's why Netflix is going with this middle way, which is to say, well, look, we don't, we're not going to make you get your very own $17 a month account We'll instead just ask you to pay $3 a month to 
live off this other person's account. Mm-hmm. Um, that that may be a, a a way that's successful with them. And frankly, you know, it's I, I don't think that's asking much. To frank, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it, it would kind of rankle me if I'm paying seven. It's like your it's like your neighbor coming in and hooking into your cable box to get cable for free, like splicing <laughs> into yours. It's like I'm the one paying for it. You know, so if I'm an, a parent with my kids. I, I'm, that's probably where a lot of that is. Parents and kids live in, you know, or in both directions, like Father Corey said. Uh, but uh, it's probably a lot of families, and they. I think the biggest crackdown will be on the the big abusers, people who have like fifteen people sharing their password. Yeah, that's. I know people who do that. Yeah, seriously. In my case, and I'll be very transparent and honest as much as I can. It's a cost cutting measure, and it's also allowing someone out of the country to watch American Netflix. Right, right, right. So that's, and we share the cost. We're splitting the cost in half. So. Right. Yeah, the v, that VPNing in uh, to to, mm-hmm. to get it, the content from a different country that's only available there. Yeah. Right. Yep. So let's, uh, our last headline is a fun little story. It's a baseball story. So Major League Baseball mm. is going to allow pitchers and catchers to use anti-sign-stealing technology during regular season. If you're not a baseball fan, what happens is the catcher's the guy behind the plate, the pitcher throws the ball past the bat. I'm really going to be basic here. Throws the ball past (laughs) the batter. Batter's trying to hit it. (laughs) And the pitcher, the catcher has to signal to the pitcher what kind of pitch he wants. There are different kinds of pitches he can throw in different places over the plate. That's all you really need to know. And historically, the traditionally, the way they do it is they use uh, finger signs. Like they use, they point a finger in different directions, two fingers, three fingers. They tap their inner thigh or whatever, that sort of thing. One finger down is a, is a fastball, etc. So, but that is susceptible to some guy in the outfield with a, with a long lens or a binoculars. Or, or even somebody, a runner at second base. Run, yes. Uh-huh. Could see him just as coming. Yeah. If the batter knows what kind of pitch is coming, that's that's going to let he, give him an advantage. So Major League Baseball is now going to let them use a sort of electronic remote. Um, Father Corey, what do you know about this? Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. It, it, it basically it's, it's similar to technology that's been used in like the NFL and things like that to send plays. So it's the same idea is mm-hmm. the catcher has a little uh, remote control on his wrist. It looks like. I got to bring up Stargate here. It looks like the GDO, the garage door opener from Stargate, yeah, yeah. where you punch in the code and the pitcher, the catcher has like the little flip up thing. Like you've seen, um, you've seen uh, quarterbacks oh, use and yep. it yeah. says, okay, if I press button one, it's fastball. If I press button five, it's inside top inside, right. you know, so wherever he punches. Mm. And so as he's sitting there and the, the batter is doing his little warm up beside the, the plate for the next pitch, he punches a couple of buttons and, and then the pitcher hears it. He has a, a speaker in his hat, his baseball cap, Oh, where he hears what the catcher sent. And so that, allow, of course, then that allows them to do it other languages, that allows them to do, yes. if they're even concerned about people being able to hear that, they can do uh, code words. And so instead of fastball, it could be hot, you know. Right, right. And things like that, you know, so they can, they can do different things. Throw so it's really kind of a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So it's it, Omaha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really, it's really kind of a cool technology and, and it, it's really been, uh, there's there, it's up to the pitcher and catcher. Yep. They don't have to use this, but if they do, mm. if they want to use it, they're able to do it. And I think most pitchers and catchers are using it. There's a few that aren't, but most I think are using it because it makes it easier for both. 
Yes, yes. I would see baseball is one of the most tradition bound games out there. But like, there's like, mm-hmm. if you change the type of mustard that they're selling in the stands, people freak out. So, uh, how do how have fans taken this? I mean, has, has there been a lot of blowback on it? People think it's a terrible thing. I haven't seen any. I haven't heard of any. You know, the little I've been research reading on this, I haven't. I think most fans think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it works. It works well. As a fan, knowing especially that the you know most of the players now are multilingual. Yep, Mm -hmm. it's probably a better idea. And if pitcher and if they are coming from different places, the Dominican Republic and Japan. Their signal signs must be, could be a little bit different. Right. So yep. now basically what they're hearing is they're not confusing. Oh, does that really mean that? Or am I thinking in my own country? Sure. So I think this might be something that's good. Now, I'm sure someone's going to figure out how to hack into one of these little things. Right. I'm going to guess. Just because they can. It's, I'm going to guess they're end to end encrypting it. I would hope. I would <laughs> hope. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a sign stealing controversy where I think there was a, a guy in the dugout was passing signs via his Apple watch or something yes. like that. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So. Yes. Alex Cora got, Kind of got a little trouble for that one. Um, (laughs) And thank God we have them back in Red Sox Nation. Yes, there you go. (laughs) But I I just feel that, look, baseball is a very traditional game. And it's also a very slow game. Yeah. And sometimes on television, it's, you know, you have to have the filler with your color man and your announcer. So, and sometimes it can get really crazy. So anything they can do to bring the younger crowd into this game and this, right. you know, this is a technological thing. Do it. And you know, speed I'm things sure, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not well. Yeah, well, Red Sox Nation is long for, you know, we have three hour, four hour games right. because we just do that. Right. But yeah, it needs to be a little bit faster, too. But it's never going to be football. It's never going to be hockey. And it's also never going to be golf. <laughs> right. Right. So. <laughs> And I, I should mention the statistic that that in a game there is actually more minutes of in play in baseball than football. That's the true. The difference with football, they have a play, they repeat it on the TV three times, and then you mm-hmm. see the next play. Baseball, right. they don't do that. And that's how they've used technology yep. yeah. to do it. But now even golf has stats that they're putting up as the golfer is getting ready to, you know, tee mm-hmm. up. And they're also putting odds. Ooh, which I find very interesting. The probability of of getting the shot. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Everything is now data and statistics. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So that does it for our headlines. Uh, I want to move on to our picks of the week. And Joanne, I'm going to ask you to go first. What's your pick of the week this week? Well, I have loved this dude for a little bit because he does something called exploding, exploding glitter bombs. Oh, those are great. <laughs> Yes, but they're for a good cause. He, um, Mark Rober is an evil genius. <laughs> he really is. And I got to know him through that. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's he's trying to find porch pirates. So right. mm-hmm. he will put a glitter bomb with um, fart spray yeah. into a box usually like an iPhone box or something small and a porch pirate will grab it and then open the box and he goes, hello. And everything kind of goes off on them and people get, you know, it takes pictures of these people so they can send it to the police. So let's back up just a sec. So Mark Rober has a YouTube channel. 
Yes. And he's a former NASA and Apple engineer. And right. He, and he creates these Rube Goldberg sort of uh, devices and fun things, often with, like you said, with a, with a cause, with a, with a purpose. It's right. not just for the sake of being crazy. But and, I didn't know all that yeah. until I saw the Glitter Bomb video. Right. Yep. So I started doing some research, and then a friend of mine sent me that he did this robot piano that catches fire. Because okay. it plays the world's hardest piece of music, like right. 17 times faster than it should be played. And I, I, the man is, he's got all kinds of other things about, he's got engineering chorus, and he's getting kids, I think, interested in this type of stuff because he's attracting them in by doing some outrageous things i just think he's worth it for the younger crowd this would be something get to know who he is and and get a little you know a little bit more practical science here because it's all looks like things that you can actually some of them you can actually accomplish i think he's like the number two or three youtuber out there is he really with audience and he's he's moved up quick i mean he's really only been big i like his i like his a uh, squirrel obstacle course because he had best. squirrels that oh, kept going really? for his so fear funny. oh my god it's hilarious fat gus <laughs> oh fat my. Gus is my favorite squirrel because i that is my my uh my spirit squirrel <laughs> but he's doing like animatronics he's doing secret yep. you know he's doing Lego. all kinds of legos and he's like just a, doing a whole bunch of things a that, garbage cleaning like a sea cleaning garbage robot you know where it uh, cleans up the rivers and yeah mm-hmm. he does all kinds of great stuff it is well worth it it is the presentation is is key because the, mm-hmm. there are a lot of ways you could do this stuff and you'd be kind of blah he's got an engaging personality uh one of the first mo- times i encountered him was actually when i was looking up how to uh build a better pinewood derby car for mm. my kids okay Scouts. and it was so we had a whole channel about the physics of pinewood derby and how best to 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 get that to work and I, I it was it was fantastic it was really great uh so i would yeah i second your recommendation Joanne, Mark yeah, Rubber's channel he's kind of an aw shucks kind of guy but boy is he smart and like yeah, i said he's, he's an evil genius using his powers for good yeah yep. definitely check out the glitter bomb pack the package bombs he's yes. gotten so far as working with like i think the fbi to track down mm-hmm. these rings of yeah of, yeah. of uh, people stealing packages off of uh, porches and that sort of stuff so um it's kind of interesting to see where that is going there's more there's more to come i apparently is, well is what apparently he said. he's proving that porch piracy is not a you know, a, a one-off crime. thing. It, yeah. it's, right. it, there's a ring doing this. So, yep. yep. Excellent. And Father Corey, what's your pick this week? So obviously I like baseball, you know, talk about <laughs> the, the science. So my pick this week is, I'm surprised it hasn't been picked yet, but it's MLB.TV. If you like watching baseball, especially the pros, you can watch it uh, like every game, every game. And usually from the local broadcasts. So, if you happen to like, you know, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. If you happen to like their announcers, you can watch their announcers. If they're playing another team and you like the announcers of the other team, you can watch that. You can listen to the audio, which sometimes listening to the radio broadcast is actually more entertaining oh, yeah. than yes. watching it on TV because <laughs> they have to, you know, like you talked, Joanne, where they have to sit there and yap, 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 yap mm-hmm. on the radio. They have to describe what's going on in the field. They can't just show you that the, the outfield is shifting. They have to describe, well, the left fielder shifted over to the right and, you know, they have to actually talk about that. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of expensive. It's a little over $100 a year or a season, but it's very much, I know Joanne's got a, a point about that, but it is very much worth it if you're a baseball fan. And they also have MILB, minor league baseball.tv. You can also oh, buy, cool. if you have a minor league team 
somewhat close by that does these broadcasts as well. Uh, so there's a lot of options as far as watching baseball, but you can watch baseball from wherever. Uh, now, the one concern, couple of concerns is blackouts. Baseball blackout rules still apply. So, for example, I was going to watch the Seattle Mariners versus the Twins. Problem, they were playing in Minneapolis, but because it was the Mariners team, you had, you were, I was blacked out because, because my you- area is a Seattle broadcast area. Right. That's the key thing is if in case people don't know, if you live in within the market of a particular team, which is the Boston Red Sox, you live in the Boston area or New York, the New York Yankees, you're in. They want you to either go to the game. It's sort of an encouragement to go to games, which most people can't do or to or to subscribe to the local cable channel where like the Yankees are. Yes. And in New England, it's Nesson. Um so they black out the streaming for you. Uh, yep. So that that's one of the downsides. However, <laughs> there there, yep. are, there are ways around that. Yes, there are. Yes, there is. Yeah. And, yeah, so and Joanne I brought up s- VPNs. They do help with yep. that. Yeah. They so. do very much so. And if you are a T-Mobile customer, it may be a too, bit too late now, but the beginning of every April, they will offer you MLB for free. Right, it as goes part of with your T-Mobile. Your T-Mobile mm-hmm. It goes with your T-Mobile package. You just have to, you just have a limited amount of time to jump into it. Right. So, right. and that's how I get to watch my beloved Red Sox as a cord cutter. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, right. it's, it's yeah. If you're a cord cutter, but you like watching baseball, it's very much worth it. It's worth every penny. And not mm-hmm. just do they have games, you can also watch condensed versions of the games where they take the games and they condense them down into the the bigger plays. And they've got shows you can watch, you know, they'll do interviews with players and things like that that are only on MLB TV. So there's lots of stuff out there. If you're a huge baseball fan, it's very much worth it. If you want to follow one team and you don't have cable, yeah, it's a great way to do it. And if you um, and you can get around the um, blackout thing, too, if you wait 90 minutes after the end of the game, they will allow you to watch it. Yeah, you can watch replays as well. Um, Now, there are some blackouts you can't get around because they're national blackouts because they're being broadcast on ESPN or Apple Plus. Apple TV Plus Mm -hmm. has some games. YouTube has some games. So that's kind of a caveat there. But otherwise, again, once the game's over, hour and a half later, you can watch the replay. So excellent on demand. Fun, fun. So uh, my pick this week is uh, food related, and this is I'm, I'm looking at the website now, and they've they've got videos of like food being prepared, and I'm it's lunchtime, and I'm really hungry. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the it's it's something I got. I have a new uh, grill and smoker, and I got this for a Christmas present in anticipation of that. It is the Meter Plus thermometer. It's a smart meat thermometer, and what it what it is is I, I you. Uh, it works for indirect he- heating. That's an important thing. So you can't put this like over like a direct flame. It's, there's a caveat mm. right up front. But what it does is you, you put it in the meat and then you have an app on your phone and it connects via Bluetooth and you can uh, tell it, uh, I, I want to cook this to this temperature and it will track the internal temperature of the meat. It'll track the uh, the ambient temperature inside your grill or smoker to tell you how hot it is in there. And then uh, it will walk you, th- if you want, it'll walk you through, you know, that you, it's at the time to put it on. Now it's the time to uh, rest it and that sort of thing. And it'll track the carryover heat and all that sort of stuff. It it's, it was really great that I used the, when I used it. And it gives you, it gave me this nice chart. And one thing I found with, with smoking meat 
is people always tell you take notes, keep track mm-hmm. of how each smoking session goes because uh, the you will need to change how you go because it's a it's, it's a very technical thing and I've realized now <laughs> smoking meat yeah. and uh, you want to track how you know I did this and this happened I did that and that happened and so uh, it gives you charts it give you like a temperature chart of both ambient and internal temperatures and it's really great it's been a really fantastic uh, little piece of tech it uh, it has a charging block that it goes into. And the charging block has a couple of uh, AA batteries in it that charges it. But the charging block is the base station. So uh, I what I do is, is when I start the grill in the back, you know, on the back patio, I move the charging block close to the house. So it's about 20 feet or so. And then my desk where I'm, I was working the last Friday while I was smoking the meat uh, mm-hmm. was another 25 feet or so. So it was extending the range for me like, like that. So uh, the meter plus thermometer. So let me ask a question. You can put this on a grill. Uh, I think they tell you not to put it over like direct flame. So I wouldn't put it over flame. But if you was like on a big hunk of meat and on the top side of Mm -hmm. it, that would be that would be work. You can put it in the oven like that. That works, too. Um, So that's I should get my husband one just for prime rib on Christmas. Perfect. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, there you go. it says up to 165 feet wireless range. I kept having dropouts, but I was also on the other side of several walls mm, between me and it. So that that was kind of, but it, so I would have to get up, move closer a little bit, come back, sit down, that sort of thing. Uh, but I, yeah, it really, it's a really fun little thing. And like, if you go on YouTube and look at any like channel, YouTube channels of people who regularly are cooking stuff, you'll see they're all using the meter. Uh, thermometer it's 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 a great little thing it's not an instant read thermometer which is different and you and i still recommend um an instant read is you stick it in you get a temperature right then and then you go this is a long-term cooking thermometer where you're you're tracking over time so excellent all right i think that does it now i need to go get a bite to eat but before we do that Those those videos of really juicy meat. So uh, we are wrapping up here. So we want to hear from you. What do you think of anything we discussed today? You can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. You can send an email to technology at sqpn.com. You can visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Remember to like each episode of Secrets of Tech on Facebook, retweet them on Twitter where we're at sqpn, and uh, leave us comments wherever you find us. Until next time, Joanne Mercier, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Dom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. StarQuest.